imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with shot in the Confidence of a hero or fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact. We are all up in your face. It is time for the one, the only, the home of the... Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it. Cool. Here we are, another stay-at-home edition of Protonic Reversal here on Radio Nope. Going to have uh, Kate Wakefield, the mighty lung incredible cello and drums well cello and vocals and drums two-piece it's quite powerful uh quite good stuff i'm a big fan of what they do i think she's very fascinating and i'm really looking forward to the conversation pretty much nothing's changed i don't think i tell anybody that uh still covid19 life quarantine quarantimes so happy to be doing another quarantine episode for y'all been some great response to the episodes that have been coming out thanks everybody for paying attention to that for spreading the word of the show about for for listening thanks for listening i suppose why don't we just say that (laughs) uh for those that are Maybe not active listeners that are having where it's been a little while. There's a Patreon now, patreon.com slash Protonic Reversal. You get the episodes quicker that way. It's dollar a month will get you there. $12 a year. I think just based on the episodes that we've done this month, that would certainly be worth the effort. But... It's not compulsory, uh, still coming on the free feed in a timely manner at the time of this. I think we're at episode 156, 156 Toshi Kasai on the free feed, and this is 163, so that's about seven episodes behind right now. We're getting there. If it's something where you want them quicker, it's going to cost you a buck. That's what it comes down to. Not, no big deal. You'll get it eventually. It's, it's... Let's go ahead and charitably say it's not a big operation here. Anyway, <clears throat> radioneutron.com is where it's all posted. Oh, uh, I've been forgetting to say this because this is the whole like and subscribe culture. Like and subscribe, like and subscribe. It's annoying as hell. There's folks that have missed certain episodes in the past, even the recent past, because they're trying to look for it just when it comes through on social media. The advice from Kona Neutron's Protonic Reversal and from me, Kona Neutron, is not to do that. If you have a device that has storage, 
or a computer with storage, subscribe to the show. And I'm not saying that to try to drive up numbers. I'm just saying you will miss things flat out. Social media is going to social media. So take of that what you will. On the social media links, we generally include links to subscribe to iTunes, uh, Stitcher. There's a show on Spotify, which in case you follow in that case. I don't even know how that works for Spotify, but it's not difficult. That's a suggestion. It's a suggestion if you have the, what do they call it, fear of missing out, right? Otherwise, you can just wait until the zeitgeist tells you there's something cool. I suppose that's a, that's an ethos as well. But I, I've had people that were very surprised to miss certain episodes. The uh, Crescent from Harvey Milk was uh, one of those. The people were shocked that it had happened at all and just missed it entirely. So, anyway, not compulsory. Don't worry about it. Okay, so let's uh, fire it off with a lung song, and then we will be talking to the incredible Kate Wakefield. This is Spiders.
Okay, and that's Spiders by the Majestic and Mighty Lung. And with me right now, we have none other than uh, Kate Wakefield. Kate, hello. Welcome. Hey, thank you. How are you doing? Great. I've been meaning to have you on for a while, so I'm I'm glad that I'm glad you were able to free time up in your schedule to do it. <laughs> yeah, things are pretty free. Things are, are pretty free. How's uh, how's that quarantine life treating you? You know, it's all right. It's good. I mean, I can't really complain any more than anyone else can complain. Things aren't terrible. Yeah, you can complain. It's fine. You're amongst friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's we're all you know. Other than like the the fact that like everything is put on hold. Yeah. It's not that bad, you know? I mean, like, I'm healthy. I can't complain there. And, like, knock on wood, my family and friends are healthy. It's I feel really horrible for, like, everything going on right now. I wish there weren't idiot protesters going out infecting everyone, but whatever. We want to eat hot dogs or whatever. I mean, what, are the, what, are, what is their exact complaint? Like, what are they trying to do? I, I'm still I'm unsure of as much as, like, Occupy was criticized for, like, a lack of messaging – I feel like I don't understand what these protesters want. They want to be more exposed to viruses? Like, what's the... <laughs> and guns, you know. Guns, hot dogs, and and viruses. Yeah. Like, Sean Hannity was on about hot dogs. I didn't mention hot dogs extemporaneously, so I assumed there was a hot dog quotient to it. But yeah, that, that it, it, you're right. And, and the larger point, I think is it's important to mention, is that although it sucks to have tour dates uh, postponed or canceled and to have to readjust your life that maybe was like somewhat on the margin already, but <laughs> others have it far, far worse. And it's always, it's always worth remembering. Definitely. Uh, so you, you did, but I mean, again, and you, and I always mention that and I hope you don't mind the analogy that lung tours like black flag. You, you guys are like on the road all the time, which is something that most bands are not, even if they feel they are. Yeah, it's really, really strange to be home this long. I mean, it's like, I think I've been home the longest that I've been home in the last four years, like since we started the band, you know, like, because we right. took the winter off and we were going to go and do this two month tour and then basically be on tour for the year. Right. And now it's like, oh, I guess I'm like making fucking applesauce (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that's a huge adjustment right i mean to to shift from being in a situation where you're playing all the time and uh, are in the the tour mindset and the tour life to being like okay so what's it like to be at home now yeah i feel so domestic (laughs) (laughs) like how and and, uh you know Lindsay brought a good point that was sort of like yeah i you know as much as I, i like staying at home if i'm it's like once I'm told to stay home, it's like the last place I want to be. It's like, yeah, that's kind of a good point. It's sort of like when it's your idea, it's like, yes, I'm staying home. It's awesome. And it's like, oh, no, we, you have to stay home. Oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah, it's, it's certainly strange, for sure. So talk to me, if you if you don't mind, about some of your, uh, I'll just charitably call them road dog activities. Like, you, you guys are out, like, a lot. Like, most of the year, it seems like, it's, uh, with... Not a lot of support, really. Like it's just it's it's you know sheer tenacity and will and like force of vision, and yeah, I, I find it both admirable and concerning sometimes. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, talk to me. Like I mean, when so- are they finally- Nap kind of thing or yeah yeah just know just just like i i'm always like oh i hope it's going okay for them you know just just 
yeah. knowing full well that you don't have huge amounts of uh, support systems behind you and that uh, the road can be a harsh mistress. Listen to Bob Seger, all these other songs from British rock stars about how hard the road is. Oh, yeah, so cold, so lonely. Yeah. Here I am making good guarantees. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Like, what do you think is the hardest thing about being on the road as long as you guys are are, are out on the road? Hmm. Not that you're doing it now, but remember when there was touring? Yeah. <laughs> like so long ago. Uh, the hardest thing about being on the road. I mean, I think sometimes like week five is hard. Like there's a certain week. There's certain like times that are more difficult than others. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I find like when I reach week five, I sort of just it hits me that like I haven't really taken a good shower or like slept on a bed regularly or at all for, for a very long time and like sometimes sometimes I do miss like the the all of the regular human things like being able to cook hot meals for cheap like instead you know always going to Walmart to like have bagged salads or like hard boiled eggs which are great but I think like I mean I a lot of the things that I love about touring are also things that are like really hard about touring. It just depends on which angle I'm looking at it from and what mood I'm in. Yeah, and it's you know grass is always greener on the other side too, right? I mean, because totally, now the hard boiled eggs sound amazing. Yeah, yeah, you're like, yeah. oh, I have a treat that in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> to be in like a Boulder Whole Foods attempting to like you know yeah. <laughs> scavenge something together and uh, to know that you'd be able to play. Uh, but then, of course, the you know the converse being that you do get to present your art in front of all different types of people and all different types of uh, uh, venues and bands, which can which can be a mixed bag when you're a band of um, high renown for work ethic, but not necessarily a household name. And you end up with some interesting pairings. And because of what Lung does, I know that you guys uh, you can. You can rock the, the, the rock show, and you can rock, like, you know, the, the all-ages space, but you've played some very interesting venues that were, oh, yeah. we'll just go ahead and charitably call them non-standard venues. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you speak a little bit to that and, like, maybe some of the more, uh, some of the more memorable experiences, positive or negative, about uh, touring and, and playing odd, odd places, maybe with either... Good results, bad results, or even indifferent if there's a good story. I think, I mean, the ones that are coming to mind of, like, just odd places to play. We played a, a coffee shop in, like, I think it was South Dakota. Maybe North, I can't remember which Dakota it was. It was one of the Dakotas. And we played a coffee shop. I'm going to get mail it, about that, by the way. <laughs> For, first of all, how dare you? Yeah. I know, it's terrible. Terrible. I love North and South Dakota. I freaking love the Dakotas, but this was a coffee shop that was, like, not... Oh, no, seriously, I've played some awesome... I, I know, I know, I'm just... I'm just yeah. It's hyperbole yeah. for the show. It's okay. Sorry, Kate. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you can censor me. Censor me out. Bleep! Like, didn't know her Dakota shows. How, first of all, how, how does she even call herself a touring Terrible. person if she doesn't no, know the Dakota? Yeah. My geography skills are very, like, poor. Seriously. Seriously. But, um, but anyway, we played this coffee shop that was, like, an actual coffee shop, kind of corporate esque, and they and it was like at seven p.m. or six p.m. Mm. 
and people were trying to study. This was a few years ago. <laughs> it was like, Fantastic. And, and the person, and the, the coffee shop folks were like, hey, can you turn it down? And we're, we were already, like, really turned down. And they're right. like, hey, Daisy, just not play the drums. <laughs> like, can yeah. You just- because at a certain point you can't turn down anymore, right? I mean that that's it's 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 like you can modulate volume to a certain degree, but I think it's to a certain point where you can't hear it over. I, I don't know. It was it was fun, and then um the best part was we were playing. I'm afraid of Americans. The David Bowie like, cover. Yeah, our David Bowie cover at a really really low volume, and. This, I saw this like very concerned parent walk into the coffee register and like cover the ears of their child. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, everyone, this is their last song. Yeah, just like, like oh no, <laughs> don't. Because you are trying to study, and we're in your way right now. Yeah, and that's. It was fun. Uh, yeah, so that can be well, that can be an adventure, and that can be completely demoralizing to you, depending on the situation. Because anytime you're in a situation where you're you're disrupting a routine, it's like there's it's almost like a choose your own adventure or something. Yeah. Well, and I mean, most of the shows that we play like are not like that. <laughs> like I'd say, ninety percent of the shows are not at coffee shops where people are turning up their headphones. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, one would one would hope not. But, no, but it happens sometimes, you know. But then it's interesting because because of your instrumentation, that's something that Lung could do. You know, not whether you would want to do it or not, that's a different scenario. But it's something that Lung could do. That what, like a shows? Yeah. Well, no, no, like play play like a coffee shop or something along those lines that, you know, maybe a big rock band just wouldn't be able to pull that off. And like would just, I mean, well, they could, but it would be, you know, cops on speed dial like there in two minutes but it's yeah. it's it's interesting to me that uh, and i guess where I'm, where I'm getting at with this is that lung scales like there's a scalability to it so a lo- you can do a lung show in an art space you can do a lung show at a rock club and other than you know volume and intensity and maybe how hard daisy slams the drums it'll still be a lung show and that's something yeah. that i think is it's very interesting. It's very unique. And I wonder if that ever, like, does that ever factor in for how you plan stuff? I mean, certainly it, it makes, it opens up options for like when you're in a pinch or something along those lines. But do you ever think about that in terms of where you decide to play? You mean just like the size of the band and. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, what? not that I'm saying you're going to be playing out living room tours anytime soon, but you know, you know, just, just like being able to have that have that in the back pocket that lung scales yeah oh for sure i mean i think like firstly i have to say that i am super fortunate to have not only a badass bandmate who plays drums really well and writes songs with me and all that but i also have a bandmate who is really really good at putting together tours so like he is the one who is organizing these tours all the credit goes to him like I think he definitely does get creative with with some places and like really like I mean we he knows that like we both enjoy playing all different sorts of venues all different sorts of places any city that will have us you know right right um, so so yeah I, I think we do we definitely play like non traditional shows I mean we totally do do like house shows and living room shows too 
But some living rooms are like pretty loud. Most of them are louder than that coffee shop. So, <laughs> and ideally, with fewer people attempting to protect the hearing of their child as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that I was pretty sure that the kid w- that he was actually just like offended by the message. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but I'm afraid with Americans what was what was playing, right? Yeah, I just I just got this look of like total disgust. Yeah, like yeah. Some, and I didn't even have a shaved head at that time. So he, could, he couldn't even judge me based off of that. Well, so, okay, so that brings up an interesting point. With presentation, uh, for whatever reason, it's been destigmified to have, like, the, you know, a traditional rock band set up. The, there's guitars, there's bass, there's drums. I mean, when you, when you guys are setting up and it's an unfamiliar place, you ever have the, oh, where's the rest of the band? Like, conversation? Like, with the with, with people? Like, do you find that people... Or do you find that people are mostly, like, the places you're playing, it's kind of known that, oh, no, this is just a two-piece, but you have these specialized needs for how it's presented to make sure that the songs come across the way you want to have it come across. Uh, do you find that that gets lost in translation at all? Or that you just have... Tower of Babel style conversations where <laughs> with sound people or other folks involved be, in the process. I think that the the lost in translation bit comes sometimes when people book us thinking that we're going to be a quieter, more like soft act right. due to the fact that I play a cello and maybe some like sexist ingrained thoughts that they have about like women and music um, and not playing you know loud heavy stuff. So I think, like, those are the only, and that doesn't even happen that much, especially anymore, but um, but when we when there is miscommunication, it's usually just because, like, they didn't listen to our music and they think we're going to be playing, which is great, but just not what we do. Yeah, yeah, and, and that, that, that manner of lethargy that happens of just, like, you know, paying only you know, 20% of the attention that you should be paying, that's certainly not unique to to what lung does but it can be irritating sometimes it's like oh why didn't you just read the email man like you know there's because it's not like you know the 90s or something where you have to like wait for a cd to be sent or a cassette or something it's like you can just click a thing it's not that hard well and you bring up a point that i was i was gonna wait to bring up until a little bit later but of course uh you being a very powerful uh front person who also happens to be seated (laughs) but it's almost impossible, and I hate this, but it's almost impossible for any lady playing music, especially the tours, to not deal with the ingrained sexism and patriarchal aspects of our utterly ridiculous society uh, 90, 90% of the time. And there are certain inert, innate challenges with that and things that have to be overcome and there's certain things that cannot be overcome. And I hate to bring it up specifically because for me, the art matters the most. And I do want to discuss that. But I think it's interesting. I think it's disingenuous to not talk about it as well. And I mean, do you find that, like, has it gotten better (laughs) at all? Like, what's your take on, like, the general general temperature check of, of this ridiculous country that we're in? I think it really depends on like where you are, and that doesn't even mean what what city you're in, but like who is around you, whether people are open minded or not. You know, just who you're dealing. With. Um, but I guess if I were to generalize, like ten years ago, twelve years ago, I was in 
I think the age is also tied to it too, and how feminine you present. So like for me, oh, for interesting. A long time, okay, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, talk to that. Yeah, yeah. So like when I was younger, like age is definitely related to this whole thing. I think because when I was younger, playing backup cello in this band called Butterfly Assassins, like firstly I could not play cello at all at that point. But like seriously, some like yeah, that's a whole different thing. But um, but when I would walk up stairs, like with, you know, I walked into sub D's with my cello and carrying like an amp, and people would always think that I was. They'd always be like, "Oh, are you someone's girlfriend?" Like yeah. that's so. Nice. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. That. And that happened probably 60% of the time when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, doing all this. And then I took some time off, like, doing other things. And then it got a little bit better when when I was, like, 24, 25, starting and again, doing all this stuff. Mainly because, like, at that point, I was a solo act. So it was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be carrying your boyfriend's gear if uh, it's just you. Boyfriend's <laughs> gear, no. But like, yeah. So I think like I started noticing a difference then, and I, I'm not sure if that's an age thing. I think it might be. I think that like younger women and non-binary people experience a lot of like they're they're dismissed not only for their gender but for their age, and they have that to fight with too. And then, like, and then for me, getting, like, a little bit older, you know, we're, like, not, you know, I'm not 99 or anything, but, like, I'm not. You know. <laughs> right, but but you've been around a little a little more at this point. Yeah. You have a little more, you know, seasoning, so to speak. So, like, with lung, I don't think I ever got that too much. I did get, like, talked down to in the past, but I have to say, after shaving my head, I get so much less shit. Like, so much less shit. It's crazy. And I didn't, really? like... I didn't really expect that, but, like, I don't get as much shit from sound people. People assume that I know, like, what I'm doing, and that's freaking terrible, because I used to have a bob, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, with that. yeah. Which is, I think, the promo image we the, that was created for the show, I think, is even from, from back when your hair was like that. But yeah. you, 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 so you find that, so that's fascinating to me, that just, like, not having, like, female-presenting hair, basically. Like, <laughs> traditionally female-presenting hair. Traditional and like the thing is, I, I I still think I present pretty femme yeah. things, but it's so funny that just like yeah, having no no hair, all of a sudden I'm hated a little more by certain people, but also given a lot more respect by those same people. God you know that that's wow, that's very telling and very disappointing, and at the same time. <laughs> better i do think and i also i would be curious to talk to younger people now and see if they're getting dismissed in the same ways that i was when i was like 18 19 trying to do backup music stuff because i bet it's gotten better a little bit better just because one would hope i mean <laughs> you know so much has changed and in fact like you know gay marriage is legal and now like yeah. trans, like things are just they're headed in the right direction and also totally not, you know, <laughs> there's more being talked about, which is good at least. Well, in terms of, it seems like in terms of equal rights for the disenfranchised, it went from completely unthinkable to, Oh, what's happening. And it, yeah. it, it happened in a very politically short amount of time. And mm -hmm. having traditionally come from 
what I would call a more socially evolved section of the U.S. It, it's something where, but but because I toured, like I was like, oh, I, you know, we'll see how this plays in Kansas. And they, but it seems like I don't know. There was just the, this paradigm shift that seemed to happen. It was like nothing, 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 everything, and that's great because however we get to equality, and however we get to enfranchisement. I'm not going to diss it. It just was seem kind of surprising to me that it was like, oh, now now you guys are with this? Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. cool, but where were you like 10 years ago? <laughs> uh, yeah. But then, you know, there's like the racial side of things where like, yeah, white white gay people are okay. And then people of color are still totally, I mean, it is just all a mess. It's we still a have mess. a very, very, very <laughs> really long, long way to go. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. But things are definitely, I think, I hope, I hope, I, I really hope things are headed in the right direction, at least. I think so, ultimately, and that's a, that's a much longer conversation that I think we could, we could get into, it'd be a totally different show, but I, I want to speak to you also a bit about, I was not aware that you were a singer first, then a cello player, and I think the natural assumption, for whatever reason, when there's one musical instrument that doesn't just rhythmically define the music is that somehow that's like the person's primary instrument. And then they like, Oh, they figured out, Oh, somebody needs to sing. Like that's like the punk rock model from the world that like I'm coming from. That seems to be the natural assumption that's made where people fill in the blanks in your story without knowing you. And then it's interesting to me that you, you're much more trained as a vocalist than, than as, as a cellist. Right. Yeah, most definitely. Oh my God. Actually one thing of, quarantine that is awesome is like i haven't taken a cello lesson in like 10 years mm-hmm. over 10 years 15 i don't know a very very long time like i i'm swapping lessons with a real cellist and she's teaching me i'm teaching her voice her project's called uncle valentine her name's okay. rachel she's out of philadelphia uh but we're we're swapping lessons because we have time and so you know she's teaching me yeah, how yeah. to play real way and I'm teaching her how to sing healthily. And so, yeah, I'm definitely, to underline your point, totally not a uh, real cello player. I'm a fake cello player who tries really hard. <laughs> like, you know? Well, I mean, I, th- I personally think you're a fantastic cello player, but you have a idiosyncratic style, much like, a, like I, would, I would liken to like Warren Ellis from the Dirty Three and Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds fascinating player like super interesting serves the like the bands exactly what he's doing but if you talk to people that actually play traditional violin they're like oh yeah that guy plays he's crazy i don't even understand what he's doing half the time it's not like traditional playing at all but it's great and it serves the band and i would say in the same way that the way you play cello which, which is you know very powerful it's very aggressive sometimes when it serves the music uh there's a lot of like rhythmic overtones almost musical multitasking that happens, but you have your own language and your own idiosyncratic way of doing that. And I think that that's something that I wouldn't, I don't think Lung would be the singing band if you had come at it from like being from a more trained perspective first. I think what you do would be very different. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So do you ever, do you ever meet other cellists out on tour that are like, Hmm. We're like, what are you doing? Yeah, kind of like cocking the, the head to the side a little bit. Hmm. There's like two types of cello players that I meet. There's one type that's like, 
that's cool that you play an electric cello. Yeah. I, tell me about your instrument. And then they're really positive and, you know, they appreciate my, like, hodgepodge technique or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's a cello player, the cello players who are like, oh, your bow is too tight and, you know. <laughs> Everyone what type of rosin like, are you using? That's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, people like to tell you how to do things and that's fine but i'm like yeah no i mean if you want to get up here and play it do it but i this is just how i do it right now so yeah i definitely do get mansplained too about my cello playing once oh, in a man. while i can o- only imagine the cello explaining that would go on like it's it's just <laughs> it sometimes, seems like it'd be a comedy bit or something you know but it's uh, i'm sure it happens sometimes i'll get like just, if i'm if you catch me at, like, most parts of the tour, because I, I don't know, I like to be, like, not an asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> rule. It's a good life ethos, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just don't be an asshole. So usually I'll just smile and nod and be like, yeah, okay, like, cello, I should switch, I should learn how to play it. Yeah, you're, you're right. But then sometimes I'll just be like, nope, yeah, this is what I do. All right. Yeah. Opinion not requested and and uh, reaction not returned. Exactly. So when you're coming at things from being a vocalist first, how how do you put together the songs? Like when when you're do you have lyrics written ahead of time that you kind of get ideas off of that? Does it come off the title? Do you guys do the music first? Like what's uh what's that process look like? It depends on the song. I mean, we have a couple different sort of processes, I guess, in putting together. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what it is. I wasn't trying to correct it. I'm like, what would that, what yeah, would that be called? I'm like, processes? Pro- whatever. This, this is the type of digression that we do not need to yeah. delve into, by the way. Yeah, yeah. There's probably someone out there who can tell us. Yeah. So. Anyway, but um, we have lots of different ways of going about it, but... Oftentimes, it's like the cello and the drums come first, and then as we're sort of jamming the, those ideas out, I'll come up with a vocal line on top of things, and, and we'll do things that way. We've actually been writing music over quarantine, like through our computers, which has been fun. And in that way, I'll, I'll like come up with an idea, and then Daisy will like rearrange it or make something longer or shorter, or and like add drums to it, and then I'll add the vocals over that. Nice. So, so taking it taking advantage of the technology oh yeah you know it and that's a so that kind of segues to a good point of uh you you guys have like two really solid really great records i mean it's it's no secret that i'm a big fan i've put put both of them on the was i was it the same year in list i don't remember I, i i gave them props on the show before i can't remember it i can't remember what happened last week let alone what happened last year but uh, you guys write a lot of material too, especially for a band that's out and about as much as you are. Like a lot of bands have to like almost like shift mindset to be like, oh, we're writing material now and we will not be touring. And it seems like you guys are just in a constant state of doing things. Yeah, for sure. We, I mean, we like to write music. It's like, it's just fun. Yeah. Well, and it, and it works and it hits and it hits at a certain level. Uh, and there's certain songs that can be if not ephemeral like of of the time in that way uh as for instance i'm afraid of americans cover very timely in the in the age of trump 
it's uh you know not you know that bowie song came out in 95 94 something like along those lines and the context is different but it still has uh still has power and resonance and especially with you guys' arrangement of it but then also you got a song like brock yeah that powerful song but of its time and about a very hot button topic. Uh, can you speak a little bit to the thought process behind that? Because it's, I, I think it's a very poignant song and I think it's a very powerful song and I'd like to hear what, what led to its creation and just, just story around it, obviously from your perspective. Um, so yeah, there, that song, that song was pretty unexpected. That was a product of like Daisy and I just practicing. We came up, I came up with the, that little opening riff thing and we were playing it and we were just playing and playing and playing. And, and then sometimes when we're doing that stuff, I'll just have my phone on record so, so that if I do come up with any lyrics that I'm going to use later, I can use those. And sometimes it'll just be like something that'll pop in my head that, is the song and it was right around the time of that that verdict and it just came out she didn't want to go out that night um and i kept saying that i kept saying that and then and then i realized that the song was about the case you know so it kind of came out before i realized what the song was about and then the lyrics all came really quickly so it wasn't it wasn't like hey we're gonna sit down and write a song about this issue it was more like it was swimming in, in, in the back of my head because it's, it's, it's just it was, it's always a terrible thing. It's always a horrible thing, and and then that case in particular was particularly brutal and and just terrible, and so I, I think that like, yeah, that's that's how we came up with it. It was just sort of it just sort of came out, and I think that I hope that the song in a hundred years doesn't really have well firstly no one's gonna be listening to it in a hundred years but you never know to like find it in a hundred years or 50 years or 40 years i would hope that they would listen to it and go that's so weird like people would rape each other all the time and people get away like i would hope that 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 somehow our society would evolve to not being just brutally terrible to one another in that way especially but I think that it will be, a, it could be a relatable song, unfortunately, for many people for lots of years, you know? Because it, it talk about the specific case, like with, you know, some of the words, but, it, but it's pretty, unfortunately, relatable to a lot of people who've gone through that themselves. Yeah, not even just with that case, but the trappings and situations of that case unfortunately a, a reality in modern life and i think that's unfortunately what what makes it somewhat uh, poignant and remarkable now because even in the era of me too and times up it still seems like that there's this cognitive dissonance for what happens to not famous people all the yeah. time. Like this is a real this is a real problem and it's it's something where definitionally white privilege was at play with what happened with Brock Turner. Like a textbook example. Yeah, and money. 
Yeah, I, I, exact class privilege, white privilege, and, and male privilege. And I was just about to say, yeah, a, a, a patriarchal society, and mm-hmm. in ways that it's hard to explain these manifestations to people that are in the water of it because they don't see it as wrong because of course any sort of advocacy or level playing field for the underprivileged seems like oppression to the privilege. But I think that as horrific and terrible as the case is, it's, it's interesting to me that it feels like the needle has been moved maybe one click (laughs) in awareness that, yeah, this is a slice of life. This isn't something where this is just some allegory that happens in like a movie or story. Like this actually happens like all the time. And to people that are not famous actresses and mm-hmm. you know, the aggressors are maybe not famous movie producers and things like those lines. And yeah, I think it's, it's, it's worth mentioning. And when people talk about, wanting music to be political what i think is most effective these days isn't like oh trump sucks blah 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 like that kind of thing it's more i I hate saying the term raising awareness because it seems so hollow and empty when i think of like a song like brock or like juno with brother what about the kavanaugh hearings where it's Mm -hmm. it's it's providing a perspective but potentially mind expanding for it to be beyond that that that's it's a teachable moment that doesn't feel like a teachable moment. And culturally, I think it's, it's very brave of you to, to do that, but also, like, it's very right. Uh, I guess there's not really a question there that's just a filibuster and a, <laughs> and, and a stump speech, but I needed to get it out there. I'm glad that, like, I don't know, that you get the song the way that we hope that people get it. I mean, another thing I hope that people get from it is people who've gone through that. I hope that it yeah. helps them have some sort of release of anger that like people are allowed to be angry, that you're allowed to not forgive the people who rape you, that you're allowed to, yeah. I mean, you can, you, you can just be mad at or the system and that the way that the, just the unfairness of it all. And that that's okay. That's, that's not just okay. It's, it's actually warranted. It's necessary. Yeah. yeah but people don't, but I feel like it's, it with music it's nice because it's like a it's more it feels unifying you know i have people come up afterwards and tell me about like their experience and i tell them about my experiences with certain things and it's like you know a lot of people that we know have gone through this on some level so yeah yeah i mean likewise i I have i've multiple people in my life that have, have gone through that and it's just not discussed. You know, it, it's yeah. not in the conversation ever. Uh, when it is brought up, it's brought up in this nervous energy kind of way that is not mm-hmm. <laughs> meant to be a topic of note and consequence. And yeah. I, th- I think we're, I think we're starting to move a little bit on that culturally. I think so too, but it's slow. And it's, it's interesting to me that, there has been more representation of that and, and plain speaking about it within art of late. And I think that's, that's useful. Yeah. Anyway, that's a heavy topic, boy. Uh, but 
<laughs> so what are your favorite tour snacks now? <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> no, but it's, 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 it would be disingenuous not to bring it up. That that's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you don't mind talking about it because it, it is heavy. It's potentially traumatizing for people. You know, it's, it's. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's real life and it's not great. I mean, the world is not great a lot of the time and uh, people are, People can be very cruel. So, but I do think, yeah, you're right. Like the the Me Too movement being one of like that that and just the fact that that social media is as immediate as it is. I think that people are moving in the the right direction. I hope we're moving in the right direction. At the very least, I think that people who would potentially do something terrible might be more afraid to do it now. Because uh, because they'd be afraid of getting called out or or being right. accountable in some, way. and mean, that's a shitty that's a shitty way to be like, you know, oh, this terrible person won't yeah. do this, not because it's terrible to do, but because you know they're afraid of being seen as terrible. But however it gets know. there, however, however the not raping gets there. I mean, like, yeah, you would hope terrible. that the motivation wouldn't be like fear based, but you know, if that's how it has to start, then that's how it has to start, and. Hopefully things will change. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be nice. So, yeah, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, uh, of darkness within Lung's lyrical themes. Not always, but there, there are sort of like darker we objects. Happy songs. We have like two happy songs. Yeah, there's a couple. <laughs> <laughs> we have things that aren't about death or heartbreak. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Smiling all the time and writing happy lyrics. <laughs> Shiny happy people cover by Lung coming up soon. Happy people. Mhm. Uh, what's your what's your approach for lyric writing? Um, I mean, you you mentioned predominantly that the music tends to come first. You and you and Daisy kind of work things out a lot of the times. Uh, what what kind of things move you to to write about, and how do you get there? Like, what's do you take notes? Do you go song by song and just go through and finish it? Is it is it a pastiche? Is the William Burroughs cut up method like what's? If you enter it again, it like kind of depends on the song. Usually, the faster the lyrics come out, the more genuine the song seems. At least for me, like the more. So oftentimes, like we'll write something. I'll have like one lyrical idea that'll just pop into my head, and then I'll go home and I'll try to like just finish the lyrics based off of that being sort of the starting point, the little like push that pushes the dominoes down. Um, and a lot of times I'll use like stream of consciousness methods with that, or I'll just play the song on a loop and sing just nonsense, sing like whatever is coming out. And then eventually the right thing will come out and it'll make sense. Be like, Oh, this song's about this. Cool. So, so yeah, usually just, kind of stream of consciousness and then editing it afterwards. So do you find that like the, the, the rhythm and sounds of the words sort of define it more? Is it more definitionally what the, uh, what the song represents and telling the story? Usually it's, it's like the poetry of it. Usually it's, it's just, I don't know. I like reading poetry and I, I just, I mean, it is like the sounds of the words, but it also is totally just like what I'm trying to communicate or 
what is coming out at that moment. And are there ever, and I want to be careful about this, but there is it coming from a more allegorical perspective or are there more autobiographical elements as well with some of the parties involved with, with, with the songs? Uh, because I think there's this idea and, and, and here's, I want to preface what is a bad question with why I'm asking it, because I think there's this idea that the singer, whatever the singer is singing now is like, Oh, this is something that happened or that I believe. And mm-hmm. in some cases I know that's true, but I, I think it's, it's important to bring that up because it's certainly not always the case. And I think there's a lot, a lot more nuance to it, but I want to kind of give, give, get your thoughts on that to whatever comfort level you have for answering that. Sure. For sure. Uh, a lot of the stuff I write about, I've experienced emotionally, but it doesn't mean that it's happened exactly the way that it's presented. So like example, one of the songs I sing about like, you know, sinking in quicksand. And then at the very end, like there's waves in the water and I'm, inhaling the water and you know and then that's it like and, and you weren't and actually in quicksand and, and doing those things but <laughs> i didn't know me and my past you know partners did not actually drown in quicksand yeah, we didn't you, you didn't have an 80s adventure where quicksand was like a constant concern apparently because it yeah, seems we like every movie in the 80s there was like a quicksand scene or something yeah we were on like 80s date let's go out for a quick we get Stuck into the quicksand, and then, and then you know, partner dies. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Nope. Um, <laughs> but like metaphorically, like yeah. I mean, the, a lot of the stuff I emotionally have tapped into on some level, and then the the metaphors and the poetry of all of all of it sort of like paint the the song. But I would say like there are very few songs that I don't that don't connect to my life in a real way. And the ones that I've written that don't, I don't think we ever even play out. I think they rap songs and never even got recorded. You know, like, if it's not something I've experienced on some level, you end up in a song. You, you mentioned uh, poetry and... and before and I know that that you definitely are are a fan of of that form. Uh, I was wondering if you did you have any favorites, like favorite like poets? Favorite. Yeah, or oh, controversial, but I like a terrible. I like a horrible poet. There's well, okay, I'll uh, <laughs> breaking news. Okay, yeah, I know. I'll say the ones that aren't terrible first. Okay. I like Austin. Uh, I love a poet that is actually like a modern poet. Uh, she's based out of Indianapolis. Her name is Manon Voice. She is fantastic. Um, I love T.S. Eliot. I love E.E. E. Cummings. And then, like, you know, when I first moved to Cincinnati 10 years ago and I was really depressed and, like, dealing with a bunch of that kind of stuff, I love how Bukowski romanticized feeling terrible, you know? Like, and I, it, it, and he's not really a person I want to support, but I totally did read the shit out of his poetry when I was younger. I th- so it's it's interesting bringing that up because I think Bukowski is one of those things where it's almost like a like Rick and Morty or something. Like the fan base is just like toxic and terrible, but it's like no, the, but the but the art actually gets there like a lot of the times, and it's 
a lot of it is a lot of it is total crap. But then you get one poem about you know. There's one called "The People Look Like Flowers at Last," and it's just a totally brutal, beautiful take on you know, on on life. And he has a dark lens, and his I think a lot of his stuff is absolutely terrible. But yeah, some of his stuff really did help. <laughs> well, <laughs> sure, and I'm sure he would he would actually agree with that as well. But it's especially as someone that started like so late in life, and I think it was like 35 when he started writing poems or something along those lines. I think you just like you definitely got to watch out for especially young men in their early 20s that are really obsessed with Bukowski. Uh, yeah. But that said, I, I, I agree that I think... <laughs> what's that? I'm definitely not proud of like the fact that, you know, I really dug his poetry growing up. But, I mean, it's just, you know... And it's one of those things, too, where it's like, I don't really go back and read it anymore because of the lens I have on who he was. Yeah. But... At the time, I didn't know that, you know? Well, and he was a definitional so misanthrope to the point of, like, that being his predominant identity. And and not only made no bones about it, it was almost celebratory about it. And that can be misinterpreted in a lot of ways and a lot of the... Some of the ways that people would just project their own interests onto that and uh, attempt to co-op that for their own needs were not things that he meant to put forward... But he also didn't have much interest in debunking that as well. And that's a problem. He might have been fine. I think he was clearly fine with putting it forward. He was making money off of it. Oh, sure, sure. That that part he was fine with. Yeah, for sure. But, like, I mean, just genuinely, like, he was not a dude that liked people flat out. And had incredibly problematic views uh, about women. (laughs) Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, it's just, ugh. yep. Anyway, but yeah, T.S. Eliot. T.S. Eliot and E. Cummings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's also T.S. Eliot and E. Cummings. But I, I, yeah, I do yeah. think it's, so, and that's a fascinating larger conversation to uh, art and artist. And yeah, break the artists that you loved in the past because you find out who they are, you know? Yeah, like I'm a huge James Brown fan, right? But that dude was un- it, like a multiple instance wife beater. And yeah. genuinely treated people terribly. So it's almost like, yeah. is, is the art good enough to, to warrant supporting, like, you know, a, a, what was a toxic entity? I don't know. Like, that, that's a larger question. I think, I don't know. That's something I think and grapple with a lot. And I feel like the world is filled with so much good art by people who aren't pieces of shit that to attempt to speak that out. You know, it doesn't mean that you won't hear, like, a symphony written by some old, white, abusive piece of crap and go out pretty. But are you going to spend every day listening to that? Are you going to buy it? No. Like, are you going to seek out other people and musicians who, who hopefully are relatively decent or at least not terrible? Yeah. I mean, there's just so much art and music in the world. So, so we might as well try to, if you find out something just that that crosses one of your own boundaries you might as well try to find other artists who don't well yeah and i think it does matter too and the the example that i frequently bring up is you know one of my influential and uh longtime favorite bands was sonic youth but after thurston pulled his uh i guess you would call it a traditional midlife crisis dickhead move 
on Kim Gordon, like I find it incredibly difficult to listen to Sonic Youth for like years because it just colored my perceptions of it. And it didn't color the art. I mean, the songs were still great. Like the, the music was still iconoclastic, but it, it made it hard for me to like want to listen to them. And because every time I'd be like, that fucking dick. Every time I'd be like, what did, why would he do that to her? Like, like Jesus Christ, get divorced. That's fine. But come on. Seriously. Like even finding out that people, it's interesting. Like, like what the things that turn you off of certain artists are. Like if I get the vibe that someone has like the world's biggest ego, Mm -hmm. I don't know. This turns me off. So, so bad. Like if I see any like condescension or like, just outward arrogance it's just hard it's hard to it's hard to want to listen to someone who's who's doing that well especially when you you know when you when you know people that have maybe more reasons or or rationale for behaving that way and they don't and they happen to have like a very good sense of self but they don't present themselves in like an arrogant manner they just are like oh i'm just doing this and you know i'm very comfortable with what i'm doing happy to talk about it but and then there's people that like maybe don't have as much reason to be so much braggadocio behind it. And then they're like almost like compensating for something. It's yeah, that's a, that's a turn off for sure. So getting back to what would you say between all the King's horses and, uh, bottom of the barrel very, I mean, if, if you're new to the band, they would sound very similar, but it seems like the, like the vibes, the vibes a little different on both of them. Whereas there, and were songs created for each album specifically, or was it just like, Oh, these are the songs we're playing and we're making a record. Uh, how did, how did both records come together and what was the thought process behind what went where? Um, the first record, we wrote all those songs in like three months and then we recorded them. And then we went on, we recorded them, initially just wanting to have an EP to tour on. Yeah, something to, we, something to give people when they, when they see you, yeah. <laughs> they just like, hey, like, we could totally just tour. You want to quit your job and move into a tiny spot and try to do this? And I was like, yeah, why not? Um, so anyway, we needed something to tour on, so we, so we recorded what was supposed to be a four-song EP from Vacation and Swim Team. And... And then we ended up just recording, like, a, a lot more than that. Like, whatever. I don't know. How many songs are on that? 11? 12? I don't know. 10? Bottom of the Barrel? Uh, I think it's, like, it's, uh, 10 songs, I think? No. Yeah, 10. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we just recorded those. And we toured on the EP that we just, like, burnt, like, small little discs of. And then we released the whole thing as a longer album, like, I don't know, the year after that. But while that was being, like, you know... Well, we were in the process of getting all the art together. Ooh, like Rochelle Kaplan does all that. She's amazing, yeah, by the who's, way. Who's got an amazing eye for design. Really great artist. Yeah. Yeah. An amazing human being. Uh, and anyway. Yeah, but terrible yeah. human being, but great. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, she's Kaplan, she's wonderful. We, we love her. Uh, but yeah, as we were, as we were like out touring on all of that, we were also still writing music because we write music on the road too. So we were writing new stuff and like, touring intensely while writing and it was the first time that I was it was the first time I was really out on the road doing stuff in that way and so I I think like we things just the albums happen in the order that they happen because of time not because of any real like thought out I mean there's definitely songs that we throw out that we 
make demos of and then they go nowhere. Mm-hmm. But I'd say like, it's like we wrote Bottom of the Barrel in a couple months, recorded it, went on the road, wrote more songs, then recorded those songs and that was all the King's Horses. And while we were doing all that, we were writing this third album that we have like totally done and all ready to go. And and like now that we have that recorded, we're writing new songs. So it's like, it's just sort of what, right. whatever. I'm like excited to record our fourth album, but we haven't record, we haven't released the third one yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it, it's especially with now where it's like, well, you can't go out to to play, so it's like, what are you gonna do? Well, let's write some songs. I mean, and, we're still gonna we're still gonna we're still gonna we're just gonna keep writing and recording and releasing stuff. Like that's just how it. Works. Which is good, and, and we're we're very happy for that, uh, for yeah. sure. I'm glad. The yeah, that's how. Yeah, so. You know what? Actually, talk talk about the title track. Talk about "Bottom of the Barrel." I think that's an interesting song, also, if you don't mind. Oh, that's a, that's one of the big reasons why we're a band. Because I was doing a solo project with just my acoustic cello, and I was starting to write like more, you know, you know I guess heavier music that didn't really, really work with my lute pedal or with. Drums. And um, yeah, I, I wrote parts of that song it wasn't like all put together but i had like the and like some of the lyrics and i was out at the at the bar one night like four or five years ago whenever it was and daisy was working and i was like complaining that i did that i didn't have drums because i was like trying to like tape a tambourine to my foot and i was trying to do the foot percussion thing and i'm not that coordinated so you're, you're already doing a lot so it's like <laughs> that seems like that would be a, i mean what are you, Bob Log? I mean, you can't, you can't do everything. No, not Bob. No, not Bob. Um, but yeah, basically, like I asked Daisy if he would. I think that's how it went. Like I was like, hey, like I don't remember. If I asked him or if he said that he'd be down to play and jam out. But something happened, and it got us into the practice room like a week later, and we worked through that song, and I was like. That and actor were like and control were the first songs that we sort of came that we worked on together. But bottom of the barrel, like that was when I, when I wrote that or parts of that, I was like, I cannot do this without drums. I can't do this in just a slow format. It doesn't work at all. And so, so that was I love that song because it was like the reason why it's one of the reasons why we got together and started playing music. And then yeah. Like, as far as the lyrics go, I totally went through all that. I was in a terrible thing that was not great, and you know, like we all are. Totally, it's very relatable. <laughs> feel. So to pivot real quick, I was thinking about the first time that I actually saw you guys play, and I believe it was at the one of the PRF Barbecue Louisville's, and you were sandwiched in between. <laughs> what we in our outfit call dudes yelling noise rock bands or even <laughs> no just yeah like like noise rock uh that's how i remember it anyway that, that might not that might not be the case i know maria gold's band played too which would be uh ladies yelling but uh the contrast between the grindy loud noise rock with dudes yelling aspect and then lung really made you guys stand out uh and especially with the fact that you know it's not just a sound band there's there's songs there 
and I, I just remember being like, wow, this is really cool. Like I, if you tried to explain this to me, I may not get it, but like, I'm really, I'm really loving what I'm seeing right now. And then I consequently like made no contact or like said anything. Cause it was like, you know, it's, those things are like an endurance contest. Like, if, <laughs> but it stuck out to me immediately. And in a way that I got to imagine when you're kind of in a position of being, for lack of a better term, drop behind enemy lines uh, with stuff. Like you're very comfortable with what you do. You have an interesting sound and a very interesting presentation, but the songs are there. So do you ever get into situations where you're like a hostile environment uh, or or maybe environment like less conducive towards being open-minded, but you can kind of like convert people uh, as you go along. Probably. I mean, I think there's like, I'm trying, I definitely, there's times when like, it's, it's inarguably like that, but very rare. Usually people even, okay. So a good example for this is like, I was playing a show, we were playing a show in a smaller bar. I was pretty sure that like, there were all these big dudes and they kind of looked like Trump supporters. Right. And I was like, this is your natural life. <laughs> But then afterwards, like, they listened to our set, our set, and I was like, I just went and did what I did. And then afterwards, they're like, hey, like, they commented on the Brock song. They were like, that was powerful, and, like, I want to share that with my daughter. And, like, or, you know, not to say that, like, people that you don't, you can't judge a book by its cover. But, so most people are pretty chill. Like, most people who are at our shows are just l- looking to listen to some music. And then if anyone ever is, like, hostile toward a weird vibe, I totally sometimes, like, will go into a total bitch mode But while I'm up there, and I'll just sort of take it all out on the music and usually put on a good show just because I'm mad, you know? Right, yeah, exactly. But then I get over it. Like, it's, you know, you're mad during the set, and then you're like, okay, that's cool. But, yeah, for the most part, I don't really – we are lucky we don't really experience too much hostility if any, I would say it's like very, very rare. Yeah. And, and that's good. And then that's sort of, unfortunately it's sort of par for the course for anybody doing anything different is there, there's always going to be like a certain, certain amount of, you know, there's people that get it. There's people that don't, uh, you, you are not necessarily going to always be in front of your natural audience, but in some cases you are. Uh, I mean, can you think of any good examples of just like, oh my God, we're with like our people now. Like we're with people, you know, whether it's like bands that you're really connected with, whether it's communities, art spaces, uh, cities, like any anything where, where it really all connected and you're like, oh, we found our people. Nope. Reconnecting. There's a poor connection. Great. <laughs> Stay tuned, stay tuned. Do 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 Okay, there we go. It's we you were gone. Yeah, we was uh we And now you're back. We we had some had some network latency there, unfortunately. So uh internet. Yeah, 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 exactly. Someone's someone's torrenting something, you know. Yeah. Places that we've played places that we've played where we really feel like 
super at home and good. Yeah, places, people, connect, uh, communities, venues where you just have like found like an instant like deep connection or affinity uh, that you know would basically be the the opposite of like the hostility question where you 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 you, you, you find something rad. Yeah. Um, well, I love playing with you and your band, so oh, that's what? definitely like no, but that's definitely like an example of like hitting it off and having it be really. No, I'm serious. Like having it be like really just fun and like good people, good music, good vibes, you know? Um, I was not fishing, by the way. That was not, that was not a fishing expedition. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not sucking up either. I'm just being real. Okay. Thank you. You all people and yeah. Um, places I have to, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I'm like scrolling through our, I want to find this particular show. Sure. Sure. that That was so good. Really like a lot of spots. Like, I mean, there are so many great places and so many great communities. I mean, Detroit is one of the spots that I love playing. Uh, bands like Tart, uh, Messenger Birds, like those people are just so welcoming. And like the Detroit community is just has been really awesome to us. Um, also really love, I have to find where exactly it is because we played this fest that was like really, really good. Um, where is it? Scrolling down. Oh, we played. You know, it's funny because you do look through dates and like you do sort of remember. Just like even in Grand Junction, Colorado, we played at Coffee. Super like tiny, tiny town, but the people who showed up there like were really open-minded and cool, and like we hit it off. Um, okay, this is what I looked for: Billings, Montana. Billings, okay. Julia Louise Dreyfest. And it was this like punk fest at this, it was just like this awesome punk fest in Billings. And like everyone who showed up was there for the music and was just wonderfully kind. And there was like this potluck the next day and so many, just, it was just such a great night. But yeah, I'd say that was one of the spots that, that sticked out. And Portland, Maine, we used to play a little house there um that is no i don't think they're still doing shows but it was this house venue that just had like the greatest community of wonderful people who would just show up and be there to listen to good music and have a good time yeah i mean i'm looking through our dates and like so many places duluth minnesota freaking love duluth minneapolis love minneapolis like yeah there's so many good places also love Baltimore because it's just like such a oh, such a great it's such a city that is, it has a unique feel to it. Definitely. Yeah. Can you can you speak a little bit to your experience uh, going to Europe last year? Sure. That was so just ah oh, that was such a, an eye opening awesome but like filled with learning experiences time (laughs) like we were we were definitely doing longer drives than we normally do when we're playing in the u.s and we went to so many different countries and i'd say like the strangest thing was not being able to like speak the language sure yeah 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 (laughs) makes sense (laughs) have like a little cheat sheet of like how to say we're long it's great to be here thanks for having us in like whatever language was like the place that we were 
playing at. Yeah. But it, that's like the only thing I could say in the like the language that you know it, it, that was that was interesting. And you probably still get people that excitedly want to talk to you afterwards and tell you all the, the th- their thoughts on the show and and you're like I do not know what you're saying and you in turn do not know what I am saying. <laughs> I mean most people do speak like pretty de- pretty decent English. That's a good like, point. Yeah, cuz they uh, they they actually, you know, take that kind of stuff seriously, especially in Europe where they like, "Oh no, no, you're going to learn a second language." And yeah. that does make sense. Yeah. So this yeah, you Never mind. That was a, that was culturally insensitive and yeah, but, literally incorrect of me to say. <laughs> but it is true. Like after some of those shows, people are speaking in Swedish. People are speaking in Norwegian. Like you can't understand people when they're speaking in like Lithuanian. Like I'm just you know. So you're 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 not in the conversation unless someone wants you, unless they want to engage. Versus in the states when I'm touring or Canada. You know, I could go up and talk to someone and just communicate. Like, communication is, it's just interesting when you go someplace where, like, where English is not the the spoken language. It's, it's really cool. It's really cool. And it was, it was awesome, like, especially to hear, like, when we were in um, Sweden. No, Finland. Finland. We played a girl's rock and, like, oh, nice. so- like all these badass bands like singing in Finnish like hearing music with a different language that you don't understand but it just feels so good like yeah, yeah. and it's still if it's good it's good you know it's still going to connect with you even you're like I have no idea what they're singing about you know <laughs> yeah like it's interesting too because you get you you know music at, at the very least conveys, conveys emotion so clearly so so what do you think about in terms of the type of touring that, that you do where you just more or less live on the road. I mean, do you feel like from, from the outside perspective, it seems like you're able to make a lot of connections with people and by nature of what you do and how you play and, and what you're playing, some of these connections are deep connections. Like, you know, you know, bordering on bordering on up to and including friendships with people that are very, very far away. But then because you're out and about a lot, you still get to see these people with some degree of regularity. And because the internet is the way that the internet is, if there's someone you really want to be in touch with, you're able to be in touch with. But it, it, the whiplash from that to hashtag stay at home, uh, COVID-19 life, seems fairly pronounced. Is it something that psychologically works on you in any way shape or form or is it just uh something to deal with like how how are you dealing with that and i specifically ask you that because there's a lot of different folks that i have on the show some of them are bigger some of them are smaller but you put in a lot of road work and you're out and about a lot more than most bands i'm my, my own included and it's it especially when you're not at a level where you're making a really good living at it. It can it can work on you psychologically in different ways. Uh, have 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 you been coping? I guess is the question. With COVID nineteen and being in one spot. Yeah, and just not being not having that connection with the uh, folks, and you know, not not living the life of being half of long or third of long. I guess depending how you define it. Yeah, yeah, because of Um, you know, it's funny. 
I actually don't feel like things are all that different in my friendships because since I have so many long distance friendships, nothing has changed. Like, I'm still commenting on, you know, people's in like or like people that I've met on the road and 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 so as far as like relationships and, and friendships go, like a lot of my close friends don't wouldn't even be around me even if I were in Cincinnati all the time, you know? So it doesn't really feel that different in that way. I think that the part that is very different is not having the, like, energetic release of playing shows and listening to other people's music live and, like, that whole thing. That is what I miss. I miss playing a show with my bandmate, like, I, I, I miss that, and I miss yeah. hearing a lot. But I don't miss, like, going out and meeting new people because I feel like I meet new I've met so many, I have so many, like, friends, people I've met on the road already that I'm just, right. like, <laughs> that being, like, changing, I guess. Yeah, you've got a, you've got a pretty good... Uh you got a pretty good amount already. So I, I guess then the, the next, the next step of that be like for folks that you do know and for folks that are fans of long fans and friends, like what, what do you have any advice for folks that also are in this same, same situation? Like we all are just to maintain sanity. And I think the only advice I would have is the same, like, possibly in denial optimism that I'm giving myself of, uh, yeah, we don't know what the music industry is going to hold. And yeah, a lot of venues and places are shutting down and our, our jobs are no longer there and money is not stable if you're in these positions. But like, the only thing I can hope is that if, if you just keep working on your art and and yeah, you just keep working on your art and keep finding the windows to open. Cause like we're used to having like one certain path that we follow to like play these shows and sell these records and meet people and like live the life we want to live. And now that door is shut. So how do we do that now? Like, what do you do so you can still be satisfied to be alive or okay to be alive? Cause like music is a coping tool for most of us in this business. We're not in it for anything other than like, you know, being okay. It's like they're for most people in it. So it's like the door, the traditional door is shut, you know, record labels, at least what I've been sort of feeling, no, the money isn't there anywhere and there's no shows anywhere. Like, and we don't know when that's going to happen again. And so just sort of looking in your own life for like, the windows that you can open, whether that's live stream stuff, which I haven't really been doing a lot of. That's not really the window I've been opening. But like for me, the window, unexpected window to open is like writing music with my bandmate over the internet. Like that, we've written like seven songs in the past four weeks. And like those songs would not have happened if, if we weren't stuck here. And then also like, I don't know. I mean, maybe live streaming will be the way to do it. And also, if the whole music industry is being leveled by this, then it's like, then people people's ears will be the deciding factor. And w- w- it'll just be interesting to see the new paths of, of music making and how it's, you know, disseminated in general. But, like, there's just so many 
opportunities. I just don't know what they are. I guess living in hope. Hope, hope that, that something will make sense. I, I am absolutely with you there, my friend, for sure. Because I'm, yeah, it's, it's the only comfort, and it's not a comfort, is that everybody's in the same boat. Nobody knows. If somebody says they know what's going to happen, they don't. And it's that ambiguity. There's a certain degree of communal mindset and uncertainty that uh, comes with that that it's like, well, everyone's in the same boat, you know, that anxiety that you feel, guess what? Everyone else feels that exact same thing or something similar. The higher up you are on the ladder, the worse it is. I feel like, like, I don't know. But another thing that's helpful is to just return to the reasons why you're doing music in the first place. You know, just looking at that and being like, Hey, why do I actually do this? Am I doing this so I can be playing a bunch of shows? I mean, yeah, that's one of the reasons, but like six years (laughs) ago, Six years ago, I never would have thought that I'd be touring and doing all this stuff and, like, having, like, living my life the way I want to live it. I never thought that that would be something I'd get to experience. And so, like, I'm grateful for the time I have had on the road. And then also, like, returning six years ago to, like, why do we do music? We write it for ourselves in our bedroom, like, to cope with our lives. Like, that's what we do. So I think it's amazing that I was going to segue into the only can question I ever ask, which is, oh, why do you do what you do? But you kind of half answered it just right there. So if you'd like to addendum that uh, with, with anything else, please go ahead. But otherwise, I think you you anticipated the need and you fulfilled uh, the requirement uh, lovely way there. I won. I won. I won the show. Yeah, yeah. You win. Yay. Yeah. Uh, Kate, it's a it's a pleasure to talk to you. It's a pleasure to see you. In it's a pleasure to see you to talk too. You're, this has been fun. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know it, it took us it took us a while to figure out uh, how to do it, and the fact that you are available is uh, I consider that a personal mitzvah, and it, it, it's it's good to have you. And, thank you. Uh, I hope you do well with the rest of these quarantines that we're dealing in, and I hope to see you soon. Yeah, I hope you all the same for you as well, friend. So maybe we can do some more of those internet collab things. Yeah, we should talk. Yeah, all right, we'll all talk. right. <laughs> we'll talk. I'll have your people call my people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm very busy, Kate. You got to understand that. Very yeah, busy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my schedule is just will... insane these days. My cat will call your cat. Yeah, yeah, my cat will call. <laughs> 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 you can tell when it's getting heated when they start hissing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kate, thanks so much. And I will uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. Talk Stay to safe. You, later. you too. Bye. There she is. Kate Wakefield. Awesome. Awesome lady. Awesome artist. Uh, let's hear a song. And I know life is better when it hurts me And it hurts a little harder with you But I just keep on searching just to find love At the bottom of the bed
reset the wheel No one needs anyone, they don't even just pretend Johnny's an American Johnny's an American I'm afraid of Americans I'm afraid of the world I'm afraid I can't help it I'm afraid I can't I'm afraid of Americans
forgot Hunting, hunting, I forgot Wanting, wanting, now I know It isn't much Souls, souls to be yours But I'm not not coming to get you, silly doll. You never could make up your mind. Not coming to get you, not this time. Is this the thriller searching for? I'll make you crazy. I'll make you crazy, little actor, actor, actor. I'll make you crazy. Okay, so that was Actor by a little band called Lung. And before that, we had I'm Afraid of Americans, which is the the David Bowie cover that we talked about at length. And before that, we had Brock, which we also talked about at length. Those are both off of the second Lung record. Oh, and before that, we had uh, Bottom of the Barrel, which is the title track of the first one, also called Bottom of the Barrel. So second two, which actors also off of. Well, you know what? I, I'm I'm pretty good at this back announcing thing mostly. That was terrible. Let's try this again. That was actor off of All the King's Horses. Before that was I'm Afraid of Americans and Brock. I just messed that up. It's actor off of Bottom of the Barrel. Before that was I'm Afraid of Americans and Brock off of All the King's Horses. And then title track off Bottom of the Barrel before that. Yeah, all uh, great songs by band called Lung. My guest tonight, today, today, Kate Wakefield. Uh, that was great. I big fan. I'm a big fan of what Kate Wakefield does, what Lung does. Let's hear a few more tunes, and I'll shut it down. You can find this stuff all over the internet, but uh, lung 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 dot bandcamp dot com. <laughs> It's their Bandcamp page, which I love dearly. And there's a lungtheband.com as well, which is the 
kind of general uh, website clearinghouse. There's some uh, like tour diaries, photos, things along those lines, all the videos. But, you know, they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram. Go get it. Let's do the overgrowth. Like 
So that was more lung for you. That was Butcher. That's off of uh, Licking Sources. And before that was The Overgrowth off of the same record. Dun, dun, dun. Doodly, 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 doo. Cool. So that's the show. Where has all the airtime gone? <laughs> that's good. That's, that's off the top of my head. Kate Wakefield, great musician, Lung, great band. Yeah, man. If you don't already know him, check him out. If you do know him, celebrate the fact that they exist. Lunglunglung.bandcamp.com. Was it lungtheband.com? I just said like a minute ago. God, Christ, my memory's going. It's the first... Can you hear me now? The first thing that goes, they say.
we go. Name the show's Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. This thing on. It airs on Radio Nope. RadioNope.com. Ostensibly Thursdays. <laughs> 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, 5 p.m. Pacific. All the time these days for special stay-at-home editions, which is what this is. Was. Podcasting. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. At RadioNeutron.com. Free archive. Patreon.com slash Protonic Reversal. This is my farewell transmission. If you want the episodes. Quick. I'm not going to see immediately, but eh, pretty soon. It's a dollar a month. $12 for the year. Thanks to everyone who's sharing the show around. If you like what you hear, please consider doing that. Helps the show grow. It helps expose people to I've got cool new art. 50,000 watts of power. Hope everyone's staying safe out there. What else? This Grand Wall's be coming up. Alan Epley, Meyer Bacalba. Electricity. Can you hear me now? Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Route 128, dark and lonely. You got my radio on. to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. 
plays the last record. The last what? Leaves a transmitter. Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now? if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day, See?